Uh, I'd agree. You've been sitting for a while. If you want to stand up, shake your legs a little bit, do a little dance in place, get the blood going again, do what you need to do. I'd sit down on your leg. Uh, so, uh, I want to start off on a really pessimistic note here. I don't know how many of you have uh, seen Matthew McConaughey in True Detective. Anyone? Anyone seen it? Uh, Great show, you gotta see it, and afterwards you gotta tell me what I need to watch next, because I'm out of series to watch. So uh, he's like, ah, it's all ghetto, man, giant gutter in outer space, and he does this big nihilistic thing that he's, they've stolen all his stuff from some random dude in Michigan. And I'm not going that negative on you here. I'm not actually gonna go into existentialist angst. And instead I'm doing much more pragmatic pessimism. That's like, you know when you take your headphones, you wrap them up in the morning, you put them in your pocket, you can take them out 30 seconds later, five hours later, five days later, you know what they look like. No matter what, they look like this. And I think this is kind of a metaphor for our product. That our products, after they've reached that point of getting some traction, of doing pretty well, there's just this tendency of our products to suck upon. They will gradually and inevitably, it seems, get worse. And uh, there's this phrase, you can actually find this product entropy. I don't know if this phrase has gotten much traction yet. Uh, but the guy said, natural state of products is to proceed to a state of disorder. Or maybe a little more realistically, proceed to a state of mediocrity. Or even worse, proceed or get to a place stagger. That was a good verb, I was happy with that one. Stagger to a place of irrelevance. Uh, and that's really what I think uh, in the last year and a half working at Intercom, I've learned you really have to fight hard against. We saw values earlier on, and uh, they're one of those things that say, oh, they're kind of bullshit, really, aren't they? And sometimes they're actually not, and when they work well, they're not. And uh, one of the ones up there is, is fighting, and, and to be honest, we're actually going to change it, because perfection shouldn't be in there. But the fight part absolutely should. And I think if you look at what you need to do um, to fight, to try to make things good, to try to make things great, like at a personal level, I bet all of you have cycled through five to-do list managers this year. Um, all of us have. Nah, still not quite right. And then you got to hack it. You guys see this hack where you go and actually put a stick on your thing. You know, you're a product manager. You got so much stuff coming at you every day. It's like I just got to fucking focus on getting one thing done. If I end the day with that thing, the top half of my sticky, yes. That's what we need. We need these hacks to stay this focus to get things done. And then if you look at the company level, you start out your little speedboat. You're zipping around the place. You're like kind of playing jokes on all your competitors. They're saying, "Woo, we are moving." But of course, the fear—the fear—is that we're going to turn into this. And it's scary how fast you get that fear of, "Oh God, we're already slowing down." And so you put in these things. You got to fight. You got to fight to do it. Put posters on the wall that to outsiders seem stupid, but to insiders you go and you say, We gotta make it smaller, we gotta do it faster, we gotta figure out how we do not become this oil tanker. Everyone's got their Kanban boards, the team, what are we committing to this week? We have to commit to stuff this week, we gotta get everyone working through this. It is not about technology, it is about focus in our heads. And we actually have this thing on the product team, and we've got like 47 different ways we're trying to give focus, which is Kind of a problem. But a part of that here is no, is the product team. Everyone says, here's what I did last week. Here's what I'm going to do this week. And uh, the whole team gets an email. I don't know if anyone reads what anyone else is doing, but every week I focus on what I'm going to put in that email. It's actually a very good forcing function. And we actually had our head of product, Paul, he's like, he's like, I get nervous when I walk by a meeting room and I see eight people in a meeting room. We do not need eight people in a meeting room. So he sends out a mail and says, look, if you're in a meeting and you don't need to be there, stand up 
walk out. You don't have to be a jerk. Try to be polite about it. Walk out. If you get a meeting invite and you don't know why you need to be there, say no. We have to fight the tendency towards meeting-itis that all of us, all of us have seen, participated, and probably made worse at some point. And at the product level, you know, we always just talk about Microsoft Word as kind of the poster child of functionality, but also iTunes, Apple, we all praise Apple, but you know, three years ago, everyone was complaining about iTunes, I'm like, oh, you remember, and like, ping, and threw and ping in there, but, but Apple being smart actually pulled, pulled that stuff out, but our goal is to not become that product that turns in like that, and I think one of the challenges, and one of the reasons our products creep towards irrelevance is because of a feature focus. And a feature, we've heard everyone talk about it, everyone has to build features, everyone has to think about features, but this focus on features is almost kind of like a cancer you have to avoid while simultaneously actually carrying in your body. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this one, uh, it kind of sometimes resonates a little too much. I mean, at Intercom, when we hired the product managers, everyone came from a UX background, everyone came from user-centered design, everyone was talking the talk, preaching the preach. And yet we found ourselves sort of like, holy oh, shit, we're thinking features, we're rolling out features, we're iterating features, getting feedback on features. A feature focus is incredibly hard to not find yourself getting into. And of course you're surrounded by this toothpicks in our bathroom. Uh, there's a feature checklist on, sorry, not toothpicks, on dental floss. I mean, it is everywhere you go, you see feature focus. And of course, every, every report is checking feature, feature checklist, feature checklist, feature checklist. And it's incredibly easy, incredibly uh, common, and actually the natural pull is towards, ah oh, shit, we've got a blank. Uh, and you start thinking towards features. Uh, Jared Spool, I don't know if you know him, probably most of you know him, he gave this great, when he went up there, he took a selfie of himself at, uh, I think, Mind Product in London. But he has a great phrase for it, which is experience rot, which is you add features, you add complexity, and your experience inevitably deteriorates. Not quite inevitably, but almost inevitably. And um, this is actually, this seems like something from 1983, but this, I saw this tweeted a week or two ago, and this is the UI for an ATM if you happen to be the un unhappy person who has to go and actually fix the thing. So when an ATM goes in maintenance mode today, it actually looks like this. All right, pretty extreme example, but uh, good illustration of experience drawn anyhow. But really, back to reality, this is what we don't want. We don't want to start building products that get traction, that people like, and then a year down the road, they're suddenly trying to take crap out of there so they can get done what they need to get done. That is the failure that we all want to avoid. So one of the ways you can do this is you have to learn to say no. Um, you have to put, to put an end to feature creep, you have to be willing to say no. You have to say, yeah, but we can make it optional. This is so hard. It is so tempting to make it optional. You go look in Slack and you see how many things they have made optional because it is hard. It is hard to say no to this one. But our competitors have, we've seen the feature checklist. No, you have to be able to say no. What you don't know is your, feet, your competitors may be saying, damn, I just wish we could get rid of this feature. There's a small number of users who still want it. We wish we didn't have it. Um, so yeah, learning to say no is clearly a critical part of every product manager's job. But it's not enough. Um, and I think part of the challenge of this comes from how we organize ourselves. This is from Ryan Singer, who's uh, uh, actually the product manager now at Basecamp, 37 Signals. And he's kind of like, this is just a nice way to say, you have a product, you have some sort of a map you've drawn. And you've drawn some sort of lines around your product and assigned ownership. And those lines are inevitably arbitrary, but they're going to and most likely be feature focused. And the real risk of having this feature-focused, centered view of the world 
is what I think is the, one of the most powerful and ugly visualizations, but, and probably you've seen this, but the local maximum. Like we keep talking about this like crap, we're just, we're just hitting the local maximum. And the local maximum is if you have a feature focus, you are likely looking up to the top of that small hill and saying, we can get there. We can get there. A few more releases, a few more iterations, we will get there. Not realizing you're heading towards the wrong thing entirely. Maybe that feature is entirely the wrong feature entirely, that you need to actually get rid of it, not iterate it. So the risk of, of feature focus is getting to, at best, the local maximum. So um, at Intercom, what we use uh, is this job to be done framework. Uh, to help us fight this feature focus. And uh, so, give me a sense, how many people here have heard of Jobs to be done? Okay, about, about half. How many people uh, could say they've used Jobs to be done in some sort of way? Maybe a third or something like that. Okay, so sort of new to some people. I'll give you like the quick spiel on Jobs to be done. Basically, Jaws to be done comes from Clayton Christensen, who is surely the most influential person in Silicon Valley who wears a suit. And uh, he's got this thing, he's come from Harvard Business School, came up earlier uh, talking about his theory of disruption, which is even more widely known. And uh, Jaws to be done is actually a part of that theory. Uh, effectively, Jaws to be done says you have to understand what job your users have hired your product to do. As, as, as the word reframing came up earlier, this is coming up again. And there's a standard milkshake story, and it kind of sounds trite, but basically some fast food company, I'm sure, overpaid him and his team to go out and figure out, like, we keep trying to make the milkshakes better, no one's buying them, what's going on? We make them thinner, we make the players better, nothing's going on. They go out and talk to people, and the job the milkshake is actually doing is that it, uh, it turns out that in America, people go to fast food restaurants in the morning, which is great, and uh, so, they go there, what's the job the milkshake is doing? Is it's sitting in their car for 45 minutes, lasting their entire commute, and uh, it's better than uh, things, and they've got to drive, so they can't sit there and eat a bagel and try to put jam on a bagel or whatever, cream cheese more likely, eat that, no, that's too messy, milkshake, nice and easy, I can drive and do it. They want a thick milkshake so it lasts a long time, banana's gone too quick. Basically, the bottom line is it came to reframe what the job the milkshake was being hired for by these slightly overweight people uh, in their commute. And so what Jobs Be Done kind of takes is it takes the persona I bet every one of us in here, including me, many times is built personas, design personas, preach personas, and it's saying, don't focus on personas. Actually, it's user focused, but it's not an individual focus. We don't care when she does her shopping or how many kids she has or the attributes about her that are taking her away from the job she's hiring your, your product for. That's what you need. So I want kind of one anti-example here, and this was an a Indian menu that got sent through my door, and um, this, I think they probably were not thinking jobs be done, but they said, we care so that you can eat with confidence. I think they probably didn't quite get the job right here. I don't come home on a Saturday and say, ah, ah the job I need tonight is order out, and I want to eat and not vomit at the end of the night. I mean, like, they, they didn't quite get that right, um, but you know, fairness, they're probably not marketers. So jobs. What are the attributes of jobs? One of the critical things is that they're independent of technology. Um, you know you're zeroing in on the job when you're not thinking about technology. So if you think of things like this big products, you know, uh, young people want to pass notes, they want to, uh, they want to do these messages with, without fear of people actually seeing them. What do they use now? Snapchat. Uh, you know, people want to store photos in a safe place, 
baby shoebox under the bed 30 years ago. What do we do now? Dropbox or Google Photos or Photo, tons of tons of things now we can do it. People want to create scrapbooks of ideas, maybe for a wedding, maybe for a home renovation project. Pinterest is now doing it. The point being, the jobs they're solving existed well before the product did. And the value of jobs is that when you understand the job, how to improve your product suddenly becomes much clearer. And this is where the power of it comes. And it actually makes it more clear who your competitors are and what your opportunity is. So uh, probably most of us use some sort of project management software, right? You got Basecamp, you got Asana, you think about whatever else is there, who are all their features? And you know, when you think of jobs to be done at Reframe, it's not just that they're competing with each other or all the other things. Who their prime competitor is, is actually email. And that email is the way, and this is, Asana actually gets this, they just did their new release last week, or I think it was new release, and they say, never use an internal mailing list again. Because every day, all of us hire email to send an update on a project. That's who they're competing with, and Basecamp actually said this years ago in a blog, realizing that. When you focus on the job you're doing, you have a much better view of who your actual competitors are. So I think the point uh, to wrap up with jobs is don't think of jobs to be done as providing this aha moment, this, this flash of brilliance. It's trying to give you this glow of clarity that helps you focus, because that is the biggest challenge. And it focuses on the problems of your customers and your purpose. And we think it's what actually kind of sets you free to build great products. So uh, I'll take a nice swig of water now. I think the story of jobs at Intercom is unique because we have actually um, really bet the company on jobs to be done. So I think the, the how much we've integrated them into so much of our company is, is a unique place. And that's why I want to tell you the story and what we've learned and, and what's worked well for us on that. So um, how, how many people here have heard of Intercom? About half or something like that. Anyone actually user of Intercom? Okay, so we've got a few users here, but for most people it's new. So uh, just to give you a sense of Intercom, we're like 140 people, we're four years old, we've got about 7,000 customers, we're a SaaS business, and um, our pitch is this really hard platform pitch. We want to be the customer communication platform. And platform sounds great, except for that it's a shitload of products you have to build. And platform sounds great, except for it's really hard for people to get their heads around using it. No one sets out as a job like, oh, I want to put all my customer communication in one place. People don't start from that place. So what we found was when we explained our product, it was really hard for people to get their heads around, well, yeah, this kind of sounds good, but I'm not sure where to start with it. So, uh, and what we also found is that um, from a sales perspective, it was bad because we give the whole platform away because it's a customer communication platform, and then people would just use one part of it, and they'd have access to everything else that we couldn't make any money from. They already had that access, and they weren't using it. So it was bad from a business perspective. So people couldn't find an easy route in, they couldn't get clarity in what they were doing, and we were leaving money on the table. So what we did is we hired a company, we actually hired Rewire to, to go out and interview people. And they interviewed our active users, our inactive users, people who considered Intercom and didn't use it, uh, and people who had left Intercom. And basically, there's, there's this whole process you can read about if you're interested in, but there's this whole approach on understanding the emotional forces that basically push or pull you towards hiring a product. And like, the push is the pain of the situation, the pull is the allure of the new and what they're offering. Uh, but then the stuff that hinders that is 
anxiety, change anxiety as product managers we get all the time when we're doing new stuff, and just the habit of the presence and trying to map this out. And basically what came back, it didn't surprise us, but it totally validated what we were thinking, how people were coming into our product. And we, we made these jobs to be done maps. And what came out of this was actually the four ways that we initially described as packages for our product. And uh, so where this started was with sales. We said, right, we're changing this. It's no longer a platform. These are the jobs people are hiring our products for. We're gonna orient our sales around that. And we actually internally, what you see at the bottom is that we actually call these our jobs to be done pricing with seasonal honor. They've got like four variations of the sales takes done. But it's actually gone to that level where the sales team is thinking jobs to be done. Uh, and so far it's worked, basically, because it gives expansion, this huge magical thing in the SaaS world, which is expansion. They start here, and then they can add more as they're going. Then our marketing team says, right, this seems to be working, our job next. And uh, Matt from our team actually got interviewed from this, because it's unusual for a marketing team to adopt jobs to be done. And they went whole hog. They had SEO around this. They had the actual website navigation for our marketing site. And they had, like, our jobs be done framework. So our learn package here, they basically, we actually, as a as product teams, sometimes refer back to our marketing pages to kind of reorient ourselves towards like the core thing we're doing on here. That never happened. But that was the that was the, the value of what we had going on there, or that was how deeply the marketing team was focused on this. So again, focusing on, on the high-level job and then examples of those jobs going down, and the feature list wasn't to the bottom of a long page. So not starting with the feature list, but putting that way at the bottom of the page. And then we looked at the product teams, and then I bet most people can relate to this. We were oriented just like our UI. Team users, who had the people tab. Team inbox, it was basically the conversations tab. Team messages, who owned the manual and auto message tab. This works great. It was clarity over who and what. Uh, there was no ambiguity amongst the teams of who was doing what or who owned what. It was really great, except for we had found ourselves stuck and that feature focus. And um, we said, right, this is wrong. We've got people who are focusing on the technology, not going deep on the job of their customers. And there is focus on this local maximum of inbox and the inbox and the inbox. No, we can't focus on the inbox. We have to focus on the support job. And then you have things like mobile suddenly, which no one's job was the technology mobile. And so that was suffering there. We weren't getting real cross-platform thinking. So it wasn't working, so we had to re uh, reorganize how our product teams were, were working. So we actually had our product teams mapping exactly to what we saw earlier. And we still had support teams beneath who basically kind of product teams who supported our high-level jobs to be done, um, uh, which we're now calling the products there. And like one of the examples of where we had that really pushed the, all right, so how much do we believe this? Is initially Intercom was all about your existing customers. This works for your signing customers, that's who you can talk to, that's who everything we're, we're about is for your signing customers. For the first three years. And then the clear thing was, all right, we gotta make this work beyond there. And the easy way to think about that was, well, initially we were just enabling it for those customers, it's just, let's just push those jobs out. Let's just push those out, now they work for your prospective customers. Same feature set, you think the features, you're now just doing it for a new set of people. But when we thought about this and we had these battles back and forth, back and forth, and where we actually ended up, and this was on hunch, was on hunches, no, we think this is actually a distinct job. Uh, it it's probably more salespeople doing this, but this is a distinct job that actually uses the same functionality, but it's a distinct job. So we wanna have a whole product team focused on this set of problems and this set of opportunities. 
Um, and so one of the examples of that is just now that you've got an acquire team, they're focused on those those same features, but from a whole different perspective. And they're wanting to do, and you get a whole new set of tensions, because instead of one team owning messages, you now have multiple teams competing for those. But we think it's the healthy tension, because the teams are competing for what our customers are ultimately hiring our product for. So we think, you always make choices of where you want your blinders and where you want the tension. We think that tension's in the right price. So let me give a, a few more examples of um, kind of, that's like jobs at the high level, structuring our product, our sales, our marketing. Let me give some lower down examples uh, of how we use jobs in intercom. So we kind of view our roadmap is, is, is basically there's five inputs to it, features that help us scale, basically bug fixing, improving our quality, uh, addressing customer problems, iterating on what we've got, and then new ideas. So one example I want to give is um, customer problems. So for team support, the number one feature request that came back and back and back was um, people saying, I, I need analytics. I need analytics of what's going on for what's going on for what my team is doing. And people were really specific with this. So they'd actually give you the exact number they wanted, and everyone had the exact number they wanted. This is what I want. You guys obviously need to build this next. And the easy thing to do, because we had all these numbers, say, yeah, we'll build this next, we'll throw this out to you. Here it is, basically, you know, many Google Analytics in here, you get whatever numbers you want. But uh, that doesn't fit with our view of how we need to, how we build product. We want to focus on the smallest unit that can give us the most value in the shortest amount of time. And like everyone in here, you don't realize you're in a race against time. You're in a race against time with your product. So you constantly got to cut look for this opportunity. So basically what we did is like many jobs, what, you could reframe this in a bunch of different ways. We still think of it in the jobs be done. But basically what are the things they're actually trying to do rather than just what is the number they want us to give them? What is the question they're actually asking there? And we focus on those, we prioritize those, we say we're gonna cut these bottom two, we're not gonna build those first. And, um, and that's what we went out with. And we actually framed our page with those actual questions. So how busy are we? How busy is my team? Actually, there's just those two questions. There's just a few variations on those. So that's what we built there. And then, of course, every time you release something, you got to go out and say, right, you've used this three times. What do we get right? What do we get wrong? So that's just the start of the process there. But that's an example of trying to use jobs to reframe what your customers are asking for. Um, another example is iterating on product. And this is where you have to be humble and say you built something, and people might be using it for something very different than what you actually set out for. Uh, which is cool and interesting, but also you, you almost want to tell people, no, not for that, you should be doing this, which is entirely the wrong approach. So an example there was when, this is from, I don't know, maybe two or three years ago, we had a map of all the users uh, of your app, which is like, oh, if, you, if you're an app owner, this is incredibly interesting, just seeing live data and seeing real data about your user, and as we, as we were saying, well, one, it's butt ugly, so we got to make this thing better, but how else are we going to improve this? And uh, what we found out when we saw how people were using this is they weren't using it for insight. They weren't using it for like, how many people do I have in Algeria? They were using it to impress people. And they were saying, look at my app. My app is getting traction. They would show it to investors. They would put it on Twitter. They would show it to people at conferences. This was their way to validate the success of their app. And so suddenly this reframed things. If we were thinking of, a, oh, this is a map that we want to build to give you insight, we're looking for geographical accuracy, filtering, we're going to do some cool drag and drop stuff on this, it's going to be an awesome map. But instead, no, 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 the job is different. We need a beautiful map because people want to share it and show up 
what they're doing. Maybe that it's animated. It needs to be a full screen version. We need to actually hide sensitive data because they're going to share it. And we need to make it easy to share. So this, which is the direction we could have gone, I think we said, oh, here's all our customers in Paris. Here's exactly where they are in Paris. There's some of their faces, their initials. Not useful. It's a better map, but it does a worse job. And instead, we go for something that's a schematic. And actually, we think this is a worse map that does a much better job than what our customers are actually looking for. So this is an example of, and then the, the proof for us is, uh, is basically seeing what the adoption is, how many people are actually using these maps. So this is an example of the job that you initially thought and you were building for, you might well be wrong. And you got to adapt on actual, actual customer usage, not just your intended usage. So the, I think a critical point here, and uh, Lars kind of talked on this quite a bit, it, uh, is your mission. And I think there's like a place where jobs we've done find their limit. Uh, they can still inspire where you go, but sometimes you have to do things, not because your customers are asking for them, because you think it's the right thing to do. Maybe you think it's a cool thing to do. It's just something outside of the normal input. And you've got to create space for that. So our mission, mission is make internet business personal. Um, so one of the things is, and one of the things we have is we have a product investor that sits on our customers' apps, uh, web app or, or mobile app. So one of the things is no one asks for is emoji. We made this big thing, it's this big app, and everything's always harder than you think. Shit, emoji in all the different places, pain in the fucking ass. But we bet on emoji, we thought this is part of making web business personal. And the other thing we did that's similar was video reply, so that you could send a video reply to your customers. No one was asking for this, and it's a big bet. It may not work, it may, everyone just say, ah, oh, that is weird, that is awkward, I don't want to expose myself there. So this was just a bet, and of course, like everything, uh, it ends up being harder than you expected. Ah, oh, shit, none of the video encoding stuff is built for, like, nearly real-time delivery. Ah, oh, everything is always harder than you expect, but we pushed forward through it, and some of our customers gave us permission to use this, and you see some of the wacky things that people are doing. But what it's doing, and what we think is an example of, is it helps make things personal, which is what we're trying to bring. So we'll see, we saw them roll this out to everyone, this made flop. But the point is we took out time to say, hey, we're not solving the discrete problem, we're just kind of building to our mission here. There's actually, this was a quote last week from Eddie Q, it was in some English uh, paper, Eddie Q from Apple, you've probably seen on one of their demos. Uh, and he had a great phrase, he kind of said, he's kind of saying that you can't build what your customers are doing. But it's this great phrase that I hadn't heard before he said, he said, you know, at Apple we get paid to look around corners. I thought that was a great phrase, and as product managers you have to remember to do that. And there are very few frameworks that are really going to enable to do that. That's where you've got to stick your head out of where your focus is to, to get there. Okay, so, so how to actually start. So we've like gone deep, we've bet hugely on jobs to be done. It's unlikely you guys are gonna go back on Monday and come back to, right, guys, reorg, here we go. Everyone loves a reorg. Um, there's, so how can you start in a practical way if you think jobs to be done is interesting? There's actually an article on Medium, uh, there's shit of stuff about jobs to be done. Um, there's an article on Medium by a, a PM at Google, so big organization, um, and he's basically saying how he went about trying to, to, to start with jobs to be done. And what's interesting is he basically said, you know, start with a bottom-up approach. Don't go for the big reorg, obviously, no one wants the word reorg, but um, he talked about actually using the language to reframe the product problem. And we actually, we wrote, a, a, Paul wrote a blog post, The Dribblization of Design, it just had one paragraph about how we use job stories. And Alan Clement, a guy who doesn't work for Intercom, he wrote this whole separate thing that I've got a link to in the next one. And he basically said, take your, all your user stories 
And he says, user stories are full of assumptions and got this irrelevant piece here and reframe them as job stories. And he put this big articulation of this. And what's appealing about this, you can go read his article where he gives some really good examples here. And it's something I can do on like a small project and just have a go and find out, is this useful? And it looks really boring, like here's for, we had a feature for a company profile, and we knew, we knew it wasn't good, we knew we needed to improve, it was like, how? Um, we actually don't know what to do with this page, we just knew we needed it. So you go, you talk to your customers, you find out what they're using it for, what are they coming here to try to do with this page, and we translated that into the jobs for that page, and it's very granular at this stage. The point is it's small, it's unexciting, it's not sexy, but it's helpful. And then from that, you get to the point where you can actually uh, figure out what features you want to build. So focus on the job and the outcome of the job is the features that serve that job. So a, if you're interested in jobs you've done, there's more resources up there that you can use. But I think um, for me the big picture is, uh, you guys probably heard this, uh, that Google's banning this around, don't focus on the 10%, uh, look for the 10x. And this is so hard to do and this is what feature focus almost entirely prevents you from doing. And Larry Page has this uh, good quote about this, about companies decaying over time. It's kind of, I found this after the fact. It's basically it's describing product ent entropy. They tend to do approximately what they did before, uh, but basically the big quote is, incremental improvement is guaranteed to be obsolete over time. And feature focus drives endurance down this incremental improvement route towards uh, irrelevance. So uh, for me, the takeaway and the most useful uh, uh, value that we've got up on our wall is it's all about impact. As product managers, as product people, you are looking for impact. And you have to fight incredibly hard to focus on what your customers are actually hiring your product to do so you can figure out where you can deliver that impact. That's it. Let's meet up.